You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Welcome, Drawing Board Nation. This is your host, your founder, and the author of the entire Drawing Board brand, the book, the podcast, the experience, the nation. I'd like to to welcome you tonight. Uh, Tonight is a dynamic show with a dynamic guest, particularly in the midst of the things that we're facing. Uh, I believe he has a point of view that's going to bring liberation, that's going to bring deliverance, and it's going to bring healing uh, for what we're currently facing. He is my brother and my friend. I'll tell you, listen, you may have seen him on TCT. You might have seen him on Channel 7, Channel 4, the CW50. Uh, You may have seen him on 1490, Praise 1027, The Word Network. Listen, this gentleman is traveling all across the world making a difference. But he's better known as a strategist, facilitator, and social innovator. And here's what he has 15 years of nonprofit experience leveraging business and philanthropic resources to affect change and impact the lives of youth and families. He refers to himself as a hybrid entrepreneur. He operates a small graphic design and consulting firm helping authors, churches, and businesses with publishing, branding, and needs. On the weekends, he serves as a youth leader. Oh, at Greater Mitchell Temple, Church of God in Christ, providing programming and spiritual enrichment opportunities to youth and young adults. Now, you may have seen him at a workshop he was facilitating, at a conference that he was facilitating. It is time to flip the switch. If you don't know about it, you need to learn about it. He's a speaker on topics ranging from business startup, personal development, to innovation thinking. I'd like to welcome to the show my brother and my friend, Elder Antoine D. Jackson. Welcome to the show, my brother. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. That that intro was something, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, listen, man. Hey, you know, the truth always sounds good, particularly when people are out here, what I call doing the work, right? <laughs> so say when they tell the truth about you, just make sure it's good, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. If <laughs> yeah, I run so, off listen, of you. <laughs> yeah, so I so you're known as you know Mr. Hundred Watt. Uh, I'd like to call you Mr. Don't Stop Praying. Uh, oh, there are so many other types. You're 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 newlywed about a year in now. Uh, you are the of an amazing daughter who's also out here uh, shifting the climate and culture for young people, telling them they don't have to wait on their dreams, but with the proper support they can accomplish whatever they see in their spirit. So you you herald. Um, you know what it means to be a great father in the city of Detroit, particularly when we're looking at fatherless homes across over 90 percent of the homes in Metro Detroit. My brother, I just like to stop. You know, when I see especially a black man doing great things, I want to toot his horn and let let people know, hey, listen, there are black men doing awesome things. So, again, man, welcome to the stage. I would say welcome to the show. This is a platform where I, you are familiar to the Drawing Board Podcast. 
sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Shout out to you, man, for leading the way, doing the work in the community, upstanding husband, father. You continue to do the work. Thanks again for having me here on the drawing board. Drawing board nation, shout out to you for what you're doing. Returning to the drawing board, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Awesome. I'd like to transparently share a private moment uh, that we had in the studio. It was still, I was still getting the kinks out and prophesying, spoke out, man, about how God would use the platform, how He would, you know, be able to provide resources to the mission and the goal of the of the podcast. And as you can see, you know, watching the progress, that word has come to pass. Oh uh, the Bible denotes, it says, when the words that a man speak comes to pass, you ought to revere, you ought to, you know, give honor to and esteem. So I just wanted to take the time. Sometimes, you know, you get those uh, private prophecies. And uh, when you see God bringing it to pass, uh, people like to act like there wasn't some type of collaborative work in the spirit. Because when the vessel that speaks the word, you know, sees the manifestation, the vessel that receives the word has an obligation to turn and, and to praise and thank God for your obedience. Oh man, all glory to God. All glory to God. I'm I'm I listen, I've been following along and I see the growth and the maturity of the drawing board nation and just what you're doing, man. And I, I applaud you. I salute you. I encourage everybody, if you're not supporting, if you're tuned in for the first time, support this brother. This is a good brother right here. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing, man. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things that yeah. he's done. Sure. So today, man, we are here. You have several books that are out there, my brother. But we are here tonight, particularly to talk about this book that I listen, I order for you. If you haven't pre-ordered the book, you need to get the book. And listen, it's entitled Distorted Reality, Living in the Shadows of Parental Mental Illness. My brother, this is a loaded topic. This is a topic particularly addressed, and it's known as a worldwide, a worldwide and estimated one in five children birthed to 17 years old has a parent with mental illness. Break that down for me, brother. What what provides the motivation for you to write such a book? Uh, what provides you a certain lens to be able to speak to this particular topic? Sure thing. Yeah, man. So the, the, the impetus for this book has really been my own life. Um, I am the son of a mom who has a mental illness. Um, I have, um, since the age of 17 now, been her legal guardian, caretaker, um, making sure that she's okay and, and, and helping to lead her life. And so um, from a very personal place and point of view or lens, um, this has been my life. I have been the child who's lived in the shadows of parental mental illness. And I have um, seen firsthand and experienced firsthand those sets of emotions the challenges that come with having a parent who has a mental illness. And I've also seen what it's like um, to have people around you not understand what you're going through. And so um, back in 2016, I was privileged to write an op-ed piece for um, CNN's Impact Your World, where I told my mom and I a story for the very first time on a very um, public platform, um, might I add. And so um, the response to the op-ed was very I mean, it was it was overwhelming. I mean, the number of emails that I received through my website and the number of um, contacts that I received through social media talking about 
thank you for sharing your story. This is my story too, or my nephew, my niece, my sister, my brother, my mom, this is their story. And so we were able to give a voice to people who unfortunately had been, had gone voiceless for so many years. And so um, right after that, it was laid upon my heart that perhaps it was time to put this into a book and to be totally transparent and honest, man, I started the process, became, um, I, I don't know what word to use, but every, every negative emotion you could think of, I experienced it. And so I kept shelving the idea. Um, I didn't want to put out too much information. I didn't want anybody to get the wrong impression that I was trying to embarrass my mom or um, to embarrass my family for that matter. Um, and so I kept shelving the idea, but I thank God that he continued to impress it in my spirit. And, and one by one, people would send emails, calls and say, when are you going to tell the story? When are you going to help us? When are you going to finally let this out the bag, for example? And, and, and the, the poignant moment was a person asked me, when are you going to come out of the shadows? Wow. And so that's where you get the living in the shadows of parental mental illness. Um, it, it has truly been a, a privilege to write this book. It's been a journey. <laughs> oh, God, the levels of emotions that I've experienced have been just overwhelming. Just well, overwhelming. I, well we, we definitely appreciate you taking the courage uh, to write such a book. And like I said, I just believe that there's going to be healing and deliverance uh, that when you tell your testimony, you know, of course, I'm banking on the word that there's an overcoming power. Uh, when you choose to share your story, right? And so when you talk about the shadows of parental mental illness, uh, if you wouldn't mind, like, can you paint that picture for us? What what does that look like? Because someone listening, they may be currently living in the shadows and uh, hearing you articulate that truth or an experience uh, may also give them the liberty and the boldness to A, either tell their story or B, begin the process of looking properly cope and move forward uh, with where they currently are. Yeah, man. So, so parental, or let me just, let me backtrack for a second and just say mental illness within itself um, is an invisible prison that will trap not only the person who has the mental illness, but also those around them. And so when you begin to talk about parental mental illness, um, in my opinion, it goes to a different level or a higher degree in that now, not only is the prison um, of the person who has the, the disease, but it's now become the prison of that child. Um, those children uh, are, are, are not necessarily able to receive the level of support and care that a child in a home where there is no presence of mental illness would typically receive. And so what happens is, is um, children who live in those situations oftentimes find themselves um, living in the shadows of if mom's going to be okay today, if dad's going to be okay today. Um, if their siblings going to be okay today. And so um, what happens is typically um, we regress, we pull back a lot. Uh, our confidence level is not where it should be or ought to be. We are oftentimes, I can tell you from my personal experience, second guessing ourselves, wondering if I'm good enough, wondering if I'm smart enough. Um, the, the, the overarching question I think anyone who has a parent with a mental illness has asked is, will I get the disease? Will I get the mental illness? And so all of those questions, what I call those those damning questions, they start to push you back into the shadows they, and you begin to feel isolated. And so what happens is, is that in those moments when you could be moving forward and seizing moments, you don't because for fear of somebody finding out your situation or your secret. 
I can tell you, I was the kid um, who for the early parts of my school career in elementary school, um, people would tell me, like, you know, this that's the boy with the crazy mama. And so because of that statement, um, and, and, and let me say this, I, I don't fault any of them because just like me in that moment, I didn't understand what was wrong with my mom and neither did they. And so what happens is, is when they made those statements, it made me feel um, powerless over changing the narrative. And part of the reason I felt powerless over changing the narrative is because I had no information. I had no answers. I, I knew nothing to even attempt to change the narrative. So again, that's another um, uh, pushing of me back into the shadows again. I'm, I'm pushed back further by each of these experiences. And so as we talk about parental mental illness, we're talking about kids worldwide, birth to 17 years old, one in five of them have a parent with a mental illness. That means that for every five children you see, that there's one, of- one in that group who has a parent with a mental illness, there's at least one child living in the shadows. And so what we have to do as a community, as a people, is help them to come out of the shadows. And so my hope with the book is that, you know, as you mentioned, that certainly people will become inspired. But I also, I want to, I want us as, and can I speak specifically to the African-American community? I want us to have real conversations about mental illness. I want us to understand that mental illness does exist and it does happen in our community. And it happens so much so that our children are impacted severely by it. So we, my hope is that we spur conversation with the book. I have a question. You 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 shared a lot just there. And I yeah, I was no, no, it was good because one of the things that you talked about, particularly about uh African Americans and not really tending to our mental health as we should, uh, but there's a whole, I would say a movement about changing the narratives in so many areas of our lives, right? And so I was just thinking this week, uh, actually last night I was traveling back from Indiana. And I, I was hearing like uh, in my mind, like we're changing the narrative about everything that has been said about us. But to whose narrative are we changing? Like, where's the alignment? Right. So I, I was just saying, like, so so what are the principles that go with this new narrative? Right. And I was just thinking about that, but particularly now with mental health and, you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. But we're now we're now into June. Uh, I was thinking you said something that was powerful that I think needs to go in quotes. I need you to make a graphic for this, brother. Uh, (laughs) Listen, you said uh, without any new information, I was unable to change the narrative. And that is I think that that needs to be touted just for a second. Um, What was the process you took uh, to acquire new information? Because you had all of these experiences that were informing your perspective, pushing you back. But what was it, man? What was the process that you took to become informed and aware that caused you to step up? Man, for me, I I literally started questioning each and every experience. Oh, wow. My grandmother taught me this and God rest her soul. uh, She, there's a chapter in the book where I, I say my saving grace, Marie. And I talk about how it was that she helped me to really make it through and survive um, being the child of a parent with mental illness. But she told me something as a child. She said, there's no law against the question. And so what I, what I oh, wanted- Hold on, wait a minute, wait. Hold on, hold on. There's no law- Against the question. Against the question. 
there's no law that says I can't ask a question. There, there are, there are, there are rights that say that I, I have the right to remain silent. I, there are rights that say that I can't do X, Y, and Z. But there is no law against the question. And so, what, what I had to learn how to do is, from a very young age, is question each and every one of my experiences because, in questioning the experience. I was then able to take the power out of the experience to help me develop a narrative about what I had experienced. Because for many years, I was just, I was just, I was, I was a victim of experience, but I had no narrative. I could not articulate what was going on. And so I started asking questions when my mom, um, you know, would be, um, taken into uh, a crisis center or a psychiatric facility when, when, you know, she would have a, um, an, an episode um, that might result in violent behavior or breaking of things. I started asking questions and, and I started researching, man. I, I remember I had to do a term paper um, in order to graduate high school and the, the term paper, I decided to do it on schizophrenia because yeah. I wanted to understand what was going on here. And I wanted to understand why this was happening. And so as we talk about changing narratives, as we consider the, um, the culture and climate of our present world right now, and we're aiming to change narratives, we must start asking questions. We cannot just go blindly into a situation and start saying that, hey, I'm going to change the narrative. Well, to your question, and I think it's so eloquently stated, to what narrative are we changing it to? To whose narrative are we? Whose narrative? My so, God. We, we must we must take the time to ask questions so that we can properly formulate the narrative so that when we when we have established a narrative, we can now articulate what it is that we need, what it is that we want, what it is we desire. But until we do that, I think we're going to continuously we're going to be in a cyclical motion. Uh, we went through it today and two weeks from now, we go back through it again. Absolutely. Now, I have a question based upon uh, my own experiences uh, working as a social worker and now an educator for a number of years. I have I have noticed that, that sometimes the experiences that we have, I have a piece that I have yet to write. Uh, you know, uh, Tanita's probably going to get on me because we, we were supposed to write co-write this together. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's called Fractured Innocence. Mm. A piece that I that I'm supposed to write, and so as children we entered this world innocently, right? And well, I, I can hear the scripture coming into my head because I know somebody just said it. You know, we are born in sin, shaping in iniquity, but there's an innocence to our learning, right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder along the path, particularly as it relates to mental illness. I know there's a chemical portion of that, but um, like if the experiences that we have fractures our innocence. And we begin to compartmentalize these different things that kind of makes a, for lack of better words, to use what you're saying, a distorted reality. And at different parts of our lives, we live from those compartmentalizations of our our painful experiences. So I'm just curious, man, to what is the process and the pathway to bring healing and wholeness? I know that's a loaded question and there's no one answer, but I'm just saying, like, how do we begin to bring those fractured pieces back together again? Sure. Well, you know, man, I'm a man of faith. 
And so, you know, I, I will not preach. I promise I will not preach tonight. But I, I'll say this, that I had I had to be willing to grab all those fractured pieces of my life. The, the pieces that did not make sense, the pieces that were uncomfortable, the pieces that revealed my vulnerability, the pieces that made me feel um, less than insecure, whatever other word you could think of in that category. And those pieces that I had settled in my mind as truth, but learned later that they were lies. I had to be willing to bring all those fractured pieces to this place of healing. And in the book, I talk about this in the chapter called Healing Our Wounds. Um, I talk about the fact of the matter that I had to start going to therapy. I had to go to therapy. I, you know, I listen, I was in the church speaking in tongues, um, shouting, deal with the Holy Ghost. But I needed to go to therapy so that I can deal with these fractured pieces of my life. And so as you talk about fractured innocence, yes, we, we are born in sin and shaping in iniquity, shaping in iniquity, shaping in iniquity. The shaping of us happens after we come out of the birth canal. And so we are shaping in, an, in a world of iniquity. And so when we when we are being shaped, unfortunately, they're shaping us around our already fractured situations. Mm. I was I was born um, into a family of an absent father. To this very moment, I don't know who he is. Uh, my mom schizophrenic. Um, my I, my oldest brother, oldest living brother. Um, had suffered a closed head injury at the age of five. There's an 11 year difference between the two of us. So I was born into that situation. Um, I was born fractured. (laughs) I was born with broken areas in my life. I came out of the womb with broken areas. And so to believe that I can continue on in life without addressing these fractures and these broken areas, honestly equates to nonsense. I had to pause. I had to stop and say, wait a minute, let me take these pieces and go somewhere and try to get some healing. Now, let me say this. In therapy, some of the fractures were, dare I say, hairline fractures. (laughs) All right. I'm not a medical professional, but you stay with me. Some of them. I'm with you, brother. Listen, I'm with you. (laughs) Some of them were hairline fractures and others were complete breaks. They were, they, they, it was, the, the bone had become disintegrated, if I can say that. It, it had just become destroyed. And so I had to learn how to heal based on if it was a hairline or if it was a complete break. And, I, and, and so how, how do we get to that place of healing? Where do we get to it? I really do believe that it is through conversation and that conversation will look different. It will be a conversation perhaps with your mom, with your dad, with your grandmother, aunt, uncle, et cetera. But there also has to be a component of therapy. Therapy saved my life. Do you understand that? Therapy saved my life. As a teenager, faced with all of this, um, the, the, the pressures that came along with having a mom with schizophrenia or mental illness, man, I, I tried to risk it all. <laughs> I, I tried to go the criminal route. <laughs> I tried to try suicide and neither one of those areas wanted me. Right. And so I had to find some place where I could get healing and therapy was that place. Man, I I remember sitting in the therapist's office at the age of 25, talking to her about issues from when I was five years old. All of those fractures from way back then, I had to come to a place of, I got to face them. I got to deal with them. 
and, and that takes courage. Absolutely. Uh, and, you, you're going to need courage. I'm sorry to cut you off. Yes, no, you're, going, you're going to need courage to do this. And and let me let me say this because somebody's listening right now, and you're like, you know, I'm going to therapy, but it's not helping. Keep with it. Stick to it. You don't don't worry about anybody else's timeline. The only thing you need to worry about is that I'm trying to get to a place of being healed and whole. And if, if it takes me two years to get there, so be it. I'm going to get there. Don't worry about people who try to give you a timeline and they'll say things to you like, you need to get over that. <laughs> it's not your experience. It's not your fracture. It's not your broken area. So allow me to process and go through where what I need to go through so that I can truly be healed. Because what will wind up happening is if you don't go through the process of healing, I feel like preaching now, if you That's don't right. no. the process of healing, You'll wind up limping. You'll wind up with a greater level of pain and injury if you had if you had not um, decided to go through the process to be properly healed. Listen, go through the process. Get get the courage that you need. Get around people who will encourage you to actually go and get the help you need. That, that's good, man, because uh, it is that decisive action. Uh, to investigate your own life. Uh, I find, you know, it's one of those things that um, I started myself just looking at certain patterns. Uh, I I started looking at my mom's life, looking at my dad's life, and I found that there were certain patterns that I saw coming up in my own life. And when I saw those patterns starting to exist, I began to investigate my own experiences and then I had the courage, because uh, I'm blessed to still have my parents, to ask them about their experiences right. and, and looking at the root and saying, you know what? Here's where the buck will stop. And here, the reason why the buck will stop here is because I hear I go, I'm newly informed yes, sir. and I can tap into a superior law that brings that to a stop. Let me tell but, you something. Go the, for it. The quickest way to break a generational curse is to get informed about the curse. Oh. See, one of the reasons why we can't break generational curses, and we can't, and when I say generational curses, we know that that terminology, but but when we the reason we can't break family habits, etc., is because we never get informed about the habit. We walk around and we say, Oh, well, such and such got a problem. Well, what is that problem? Right. <laughs> Let's dive into it. Let's get some information. Yes. Let's yeah. examine that thing. There's no law against the question. So ask the questions about it so that you can become informed so then you can defeat it. Let me tell you something. I, my grandmother was a phenomenal cook. And others have used this example, so I'm going to use it again. Go for She's it. A phenomenal cook. But she always cut the butt of the ham off. And I never understood why. Yeah. Until I got grown and got my own house and decided I was going to cook me a ham. And I said, well, why, why do I need to cut the butt of this ham off? And so I called one of my aunts. I said, Granny used to do this all the time. She said, well, that's because her pan was never large enough for the entire ham. Let me tell you something. You know, the first thing I did, I went back to the store and bought a large enough pan because now I had information to break a habit that had been longstanding in my family. That's where the enemy, I'm sorry, I got to go here. That's where the enemy wants to keep us bound. Because if I can keep you uninformed, delusional, ignorant. Ignorant. 
I can then destroy you. My people perish for lack of lack. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you knew we weren't going to get on this call and and not bring up the word. So, and I, and I think, uh, just kind of, deferring for a moment, uh, digressing for a moment. I think people are ready for real solutions. And to my brothers and sisters who are ministers of the gospel, uh, a lot of times we go into secular environments and we'll try to present, uh, you know, the principle of something. And that's good. If you got to do what you're led to do, but if you don't bring people to the reality of what really worked for you, then you've given them a half-baked truth that they're now dependent on because the whole reason they called you in the first place, they didn't want to say it, but the whole reason they called you in the first place is because you are a man or a woman of faith. Absolutely. And, and you know, I've watched, cause I, listen, I've seen uh, some of us, you know, try to gracefully navigate the secular places uh, in a way that wouldn't offend anybody's sensibilities. And I'll see when the power's ready to fall and a person will step back because they want to be invited again. And I'm of the impression is that if you had the gall and audacity to invite me, you knew what you was getting. <laughs> you knew what you were getting. And so if I never access that platform again, I will accomplish. And so that's the difference too. Uh, just another is, are you accepting opportunities or are you yielding to assignments? Now those, those are different. Those Come are different. Yeah. On. So, so if you're going in places that you haven't been assigned, then prepare to be rejected, right? Because oh oh I, I, I'm not looking for opportunities. I'm answering to assignments, right? That's it. That's it. And, That's it. and the reason I bring that up is because you and I had a we shared an assignment um, back with the uh, national the Youth Day. Yes, sir. And uh, it was an honor to serve with you. Uh, shout out to Keith, uh, brother Keith Bennett. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and uh, the elders and this had this going to come full circle to what we're talking about. But to break down what's happening in our community, information it's important, information from our elders as it relates to what has been must serve as a conduit to inform the practices moving forward or we'll spin our wheels. This is important for this time. We'll spin our wheels doing things and we'll be recovering a terrain that's already been cut down. When if we listen to the elders, we can progress the ball moving forward into lands that they haven't yet ventured. That's why it's important for us to investigate not just the present reality, but what has been. Absolutely. Because our our elders in many instances they have they have traversed terrain and lands that we will not even traverse on accident or on intention. They've they've already traversed it. And so what what winds up happening, and this has been my personal observation, is when we don't take time to hear from our elders, we wind up destroying a foundation that they built. Our buildings and our structures could have been higher had we taken the time to speak to the elders. They have gone through and experienced things on accident that we never will on purpose. And so what we must learn how to do is pause long enough to ask the question. There's no law against the question, but we must ask the right person the question. And so when I wanted to understand my mother's upbringing and and her 
um, childhood back in Mississippi um, for this book, I went and talked to her sisters. I went and talked to my aunts, those who are older than her and those who are a little bit younger. I wanted to hear from them. What did you see? What did you observe? What did you know? Why? Because it gave me a solid foundation upon which I could build and tell the rest of the story. I only showed up in 1985. She was here in 1951 and everybody else was here before her. So why not go talk to them? So when we talk about the climate of our world today, we have to be um, we have to be patient enough. And we have to be humble enough to say, Brother Andre, I don't I don't have all the answers, man. I, I don't I don't know what to do here. Can you tell me what happened 10 years prior? Because you were around. I wasn't. Can you tell me what happened? We, we have to learn how to appreciate those with the historical knowledge of what it is that we're fighting against today. There are individuals. Let, let me just pull the, the, the hat off this thing. When we talk about systemic racism, when we talk about injustices in America, there are people in our communities, in our families who marched with Dr. King, who yes. stood in those parks, who yes. were on the front lines um, after Emmett Till was found murdered, it, who were on the front lines when Megan yes. died. They were there. And so if we are refusing to talk to them, to ask them what they did, to, to collect the learnings from them, we're going to miss capitalizing on this moment. I, I believe this with all of my heart, that the civil rights movement of the 1950s truly did build a solid platform that we can stand upon where we mess up. And I'm a millennial in age. Yes. 35 years old. I'm a millennial in age. But where we mess up, I truly do believe, is when we don't take the time to hear from those who were there back then and, and learn how to build a top or on top of what it is that they're that they've already built. Some of the things that they did in, in the civil rights movement movement early on did work and did produce change. Let's yes. let's let's be real. Some of it did work and did produce real, sustainable, tangible change. We're just saying we, there's some more to go, but we don't throw out the old because we got we because 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 here's it is the issue is not old, right? It's, it's fresh. It's, it's it's just fresh. That's all. And so and and if I can even say this, go a little bit further with it. The issue has been there. We just decided to wake up to it. Absolutely. You know what I'm thinking, uh, my brother. Is that when you when you said that I'm thinking about all these people who are gathering and galvanizing and coming together, and in my mind I just did one, two, three, four, five. And so, how many of us are still approaching the current actions from a distorted reality? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I no, I'm and I'm thinking um, because when you when you especially when you have those statistics. I remember sitting in um, my sociology class and we were going through all of the things for as far as adverse childhood effects and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And they were, we were throwing out all the statistics mm -hmm. and all of a sudden something I didn't, that was a part of my, my norm growing up. I acknowledged in that moment, my bachelor's degree, I was like, because I was looking around the room with the numbers and I said, oh, wait a minute. I guess in that one, I'm the one, I'm the one, you know, yeah. and they go, you know, just when, when you go through that whole list. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, wow, yeah. that that applies to me, you know, and then you start doing the, the research and saying, 
what about this that I've normalized, this dysfunction that I've normalized, do I need to address? Uh, I'm sorry, man. I asked the question so often. Jump in, jump in. I asked the question so often, when will we stop being loyal to dysfunction? When will we stop being loyal to dysfunction? We have we have normalized dysfunction, and 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 because watch this because we've learned how to cut the corners within dysfunction to get some semblance of life and normalcy. When everybody when anybody comes not everybody but when anyone comes and challenges the dysfunction, because we found a way to normalize it for us, that's when it becomes problematic. That's right. Because we, we, we don't yeah. want to come out of that. Absolutely. Yeah. We got to stop being loyal to this, I, I, this I'm secure here. <laughs> I'm secure. This, you, you're threatening my security. You, you, you're threatening what I, what I have built my life on. You, you're, you're challenging me to say, what, what was not right about that? What, what's, what's my standard or my expectation of this area? And am I living below? The privilege that's afforded to me, of course. Now we're talking about as believers. What what does the word have to say about this? I, I mentioned earlier about you said, "How did I reach a place of healing?" I told you I had to bring some things that I had accepted to be truth, but later found out were lies. Yes. If I'm if I'm going to walk in the fullness of life that God has provided, when Jesus said, "I come that you might have life and that more abundantly," oh, if yeah. I'm walking that abundantly life. That means that I'm going to have to be willing to let, first of all, the word of God challenge my thinking and challenge some of my behaviors so that they can truly represent and, 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 and exhibit what God wants me to have. And there are some things in my life, I'm not talking, I can't talk about nobody else, but in my life that I had accepted as truth that I had to cry over when I learned that they were really lies. I, I had, I had, watch this. I had to accept the fact that people had told me that as a black man who never had a father, I could never be a good father. Go ahead. I had to accept that that was a lie. I had to accept that that was a lie and then walk out the truth that no, I can't be a good father. And I am a good father. <laughs> I, yes, sir. I, but, 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 it, but so long as I try to hold on to what I think. And what I have treasured for so long, I preached a sermon one time and in there, one of the points the Lord gave me was we're treasuring trash. Mm. I, 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 I was talking uh, the story about as a kid, how we were playing in the yard and dig in the yard and I get a shoebox, one of my grandmother's old shoebox and I'd be digging in the yard. And I, as I'm digging, I'm finding pieces of glass. I'm finding, um, pieces of old charcoal. I'm finding smooth rocks. I find a couple coins or whatever. And so I come back with this big box, but my older cousins would get my box and they'd be like, let me see the box. And they go through my box and they start throwing stuff out. And they said, well, well, the only thing of value that you have in here is a couple smooth stones, some coins, and maybe an old toy matchbox card that was found, dug, um, planted in the yard. They, they were helping me understand that everything else in my box that I called a treasure was really trash. And so sometimes we have to be willing to let somebody else, God help today, yeah. go through our box 
and help us see, no, that's trash. That's treasure. Keep that. Throw that away. We got to be willing to let somebody do that. Hey, we, we have to. And so the question, I guess, that's, is, that's looming is how will you respond to the challenge? Oh, yeah. Because uh, one, of, one of the principles I live by, my brother, is that truth demands a response. Absolutely. Uh, whenever, and you know, of course, uh, for us, when truth comes in, the personage of Christ shows up. I'm not talking about like facts that appear true. I'm talking about the truth of the matter. When, it, when the truth shows up, truth demands a response, acceptance or rejection. There's, there's no in-between. No You're either going to accept or reject. And once you embrace truth, grace shows up that enables you to in, to go through the process. And then on the end, there's a promise. So yeah. there's truth, there's grace, and then there's the promise at the end. Because we're not even prepared to receive what he's promised in our distorted reality or condition. The mind's not even prepared. So our spirit is 100% renewed and refreshed. But it's us working out that soul salvation, that that mind, that will, that emotion. So, brother, I listen, I am excited, man, um, to read this book. I am excited uh, for what this book will do. Uh, for me, it is all about whenever I whenever I think about your books, um, whether it's Hunter Watt Life, uh, whether it's Flip the Switch, it's the illumination that the word of God brings. The entrance of thy word giveth what? Yeah, it brings light, you know. So uh, even with this book, um, I want people to, uh, and I want you to frame it, man, but this is just what's on my heart. I I want people to come out of the shadows, right? And I want people to realize that there is nothing wrong with you. There is just something that has been underdeveloped because there hasn't been a light shown on it. Uh, Nobody looks at an eighth grade athlete and gets upset because he can't beat a pro athlete. He hasn't had the yet the time to develop to a position to even compete. So there are certain areas in pro that are pro level developed. And when we're out in the public, most of the times what people are looking at are the areas where we've we've got pro experience, right? So Evan Carmichael says our Michael Jordan talent, right? It's something. Right, right. But right. then it's it's when we're at home uh, where we can sit with this book, Distorted Reality, um, and look at, you know, what is it about my life that I'm not seeing quite clearly uh, that I need to investigate? Because there is no law against question. asking a question. Right. So, man, I want you to take some time. We have about 15 minutes left. Man, I just want you to speak from your heart um, as it relates to um the current climate as a, uh, about distorted reality, racial injustice, uh, the public health care, global pandemic that we're facing. And here's, here's what I would love for you to frame it by, by, my brother. Like how stress can distort our perception. Oh, man. Yeah. And I, I just want to I want to just release you, man, and let God use you and also just provide us that information because stress can also distort our reality. What should we do, my brother? Man, you know, distorted reality is, I mean, is birthing something on the inside of me that honestly, I I wish I had done it 10 years ago. I'll say it that way. But more importantly, 
I'm thankful that God gave me the time and this opportunity to do it. And so to your, your point about how stress distorts our reality, how stress has this, you know, because to distort something means to twist it or to pull it out of shape. Mm. And so um, stress, what it does is it, it stresses, <laughs> it, it, it expands, it makes something so small appear to be so much bigger. Um, and so when we start talking about our lives and when we are dealing with stress, the stress of paying bills, the stress of job loss, the stress of marital challenges, the stress of health challenges, it, it, will, it will distort our view of what life can be, watch this, and what it actually is for us. Mm-hmm. It'll, have us it'll have us living in a moment. And, and let, me, let, me, let me deal with it from this angle. Schizophrenia is uh, such a disease that my mother and I can go into the same store, interact with the same people, do the same transaction, walk out of the door, and she can say to me, those people were talking about me. Those people didn't like me. Those people were trying to kill me. But I'm, I'm like, but we just experienced the same thing. The, 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 the disease of schizophrenia causes um, what we call um, interruptions in the thinking process, and it causes hallucinations to happen. And so when we start looking at our lives, many times, um, and I love what you said, we are okay. But it is the stress of our lives that have caused us to distort mm-hmm. everything around. And so we see our marriages as something that cannot survive. We see our children as someone who cannot get better. We see our job situation as something that will never change. I love um, what a, a, a noted um, radio personality, Willie Moore Jr. says. He says, if, it's, if you haven't won, it's not the end, something to that effect. But I, I, I appreciate that because what it says is that so long as I'm still here, yes, something better can come. Something better is coming. And so um, what, what, what we have to learn how to grab a hold to in those moments when we feel stressed and we start observing that our reality has become distorted is we have to grab a hold to hope. I have to believe that no matter what it looks like right now, it will get better. It will get better. And I remember my grandmother telling me that as a child, I, I went to her one day crying. I was, I was upset because nothing had happened. <laughs> nothing had happened in the house. But I was upset that my mom had schizophrenia. And she said, you've got to see a better day. Whoa. Listen, I was upset. I was angry. And I didn't care to hear anything she had to say. But right. she said, you have to see a better day. And now I'm sitting. I'm sitting <laughs> in a better day. A better day. That my mom has been for near a decade now on a pathway where she's had no hospitalizations due to schizophrenia. Amen. Outbursts and things that, I, that have become a norm in our life, they don't even happen. Why? Why? Because the better day arrived. And so, uh, and, and, and as we talk about the climate of racism and justice, it's hard to see a better day when you see a man killed on video. It don't let me, listen, I'm not, I'm, 
I'm I'm not <laughs> distorted in that. It's difficult to see a better day when you see those type of things. But on the inside, we must we must continue to confess and continue to visualize a better day and allow that to help us um, and allow that to energize us to go and fight for that better day. Because let me tell you something, even though my grandmother told me that at 13 years old, that I had to see a better day, at 17, I had to fight for a better day for my mom. That's good. How did I fight? When I went and applied to become her legal guardian and the judge told me, I can't do this. You're too young. You have your life in front of you. I had to fight for a better day for my mom when I decided that, no, I can't go away for school. I need to stay here and take care of her and make sure she's okay. I had to fight for a better day when I decided that, hey, my mom living with me is not going to cut it. I, I'm, I can't sufficiently care for her and still lead a life. And so I had to make the, the hard decision about um, moving her into a residential facility. And, and watch this. I moved her into one, didn't like what happened in, within two weeks and moved her into another one and then into another one. I had to fight for this better day. And so it, this is not this is not some passive thing that you're going after, but but it, it really is. You're going to have to put some effort into it. And so I say to those who are listening, those who are watching that. Where you are in your life right now um, may feel may feel and may truly be distorted. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. When we when it comes down to being a black man in America, it's distorted. Yes, sir. We've been twisted and pulled out of shape. When, we, when you talk about asphyxiation, when you talk about a man having his knee on someone's neck that causes him to die because he can't breathe, that is you have, you have removed his breathing canal, his breathing um, uh, canal into a position that he cannot breathe. You have distorted it. You, you caused it to be turned and twisted to where he cannot actually breathe. That's all reality, y'all. And I'm not, I'm not trying to distort that and I'm not even trying to get away from it. It's reality. However, our response in this moment has to be strategic. It has to be thoughtful, and we have to be willing to fight for it. And and I and you know I, I wrote something down the other day, and I just I just you, you told me to go, so I just want to yeah, say it. No, it's good. Listen, we know that there are injustices in our country, and I'm loving the protest. I I, I appreciate my people who have. Um, hit the streets and who are protesting. I'm not condoning the looting. I'm not. I'm not going for that. And I know many have even attempted to apply the scripture to say that Jesus flipped the tables in the temple. So therefore we can do some looting. There's a couple things you got to pull from that text. First of all, (laughs) Jesus flipped tables in his house. Listen what he said. He said, you have made Made. my And my house should be called the house of prayer. House of prayer. He had ownership of the place in which he tore up. Come on. Yeah. And his flipping of the table wasn't an act of looting. It was an act of, watch this, eviction. Yeah. He was evicting people out of a place he had ownership. So, so his protest was his statement. And his actions of flipping the table was an eviction out. We don't, we don't own these buildings that we're tearing up. So why why are you doing that? So no, you can't protest. 
protest. Open your mouth and state, this is wrong. We demand justice. And then after you got done protesting, you need to prepare. What are you preparing, Antoine? You need to prepare your list of requests. You need to prepare your list of questions. You need to prepare your list of, dare I say, demands. And Man. then you move from that to you propose. You're now proposing a solution to the problem that you've been protesting about. And once you have prepared, once you have protested, once you have proposed, now you got to participate. Yeah. That means that when the voting time shows up, you don't sit back at home and not get out and vote. When they call for um, an individual to serve on a jury, that don't mean that you um, you 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 shyst out or you 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 just try to I don't know what word to use right now because I'm a little angry because when I think about the numbers of us who don't show up to jury duty, right? These that's the participation part, and so Civic duty. I, I, I'm with you on the protest. I'm with you on proposing. I'm with you on preparing your demands, but we got to participate. And so as we talk about changing our distorted realities, I had to participate. And so in the book, you, you'll read about how I had to participate. I had to go and sit and advocate for my mother in the doctor's office when they were not giving her sufficient services. When the psychiatrist was just simply bringing her in there for a two minute conversation and sending her back out the door. No, I had to go in there and participate and actually advocate. So that meant I had to take some days off work. Yeah. Hold on. Listen, brother. Listen, listen. You can't give us too much of the book. Don't give us too much. Don't give us too much. No, that, that's good. That's good. I want you to, to, to hear my heart and, and, and I pray that what I've shared has made sense, but I'm not, I am not clueless. I'm a black man in America. I got pulled over the other day and I tell you, I was nervous as all get out. And the officers had to say to me, Hey, just calm down. I just, just want to make sure you're safe. But, yeah. but the reality is I, I get it. I do get it. My, the reality is distorted. It is pulled out of shape. But but I believe as a man of God and a man of faith, that if we follow God's prescription, that he will help us and that he will, he will give us the strategy to get through this. The reason I am what I have been called by others, I don't necessarily carry this title myself, but a survivor of parental mental illness is because of God. All right. You'll read in the book, you'll see clearly the hand of God on my life because there were things and times and moments when I should have been taken out. (laughs) But you'll see the hand of God. So I encourage you, uh, check out AntoineJackson.org. You can pre-order the book there. It is available for pre-order on Kindle and then paperback copies. I have a flyer on my Facebook page where you can um, pre-order the paperback copies um, we're slated for a July 14 release. Um, I've been told that we'll be able to do that much earlier. So you'll see a, a nice um, flyer out there very soon with the updated date. We're just making, we want to make sure that this is right. I do cite um, some research um, from around the world in this book. And so I just want to make sure things are done decently and in order in that respect. But I encourage you to check out the book. And if you're an individual dealing with mental illness, If you have a family member dealing with mental illness, you need to reach out for help. Unfortunately, we only talk about mental illness after the person has harmed themselves or someone else. If you know that you're not in the mental capacity or place right now that is healthy, you need to reach out for help. If you know someone, check on them, call, reach out on their behalf and get some help. 
there is help and support for mental illness. And I'm a living witness. I'm a living witness that with the right amount of support, they can go on, an individual with a mental illness can go on and lead a healthy life. My mom keeps me laughing. She keeps Yes, me- I was about to say, you got to make sure that envelope and that Pepsi is together, brother. <laughs> you you yeah. already know, right? <laughs> yeah. So listen, man, we have about two minutes left. Uh, again, I just want you to give them the social media handles so that uh, they'll be able to get in touch with you, my brother. Absolutely. You can click on my Facebook page. It's author Antoine Jackson on Facebook. Um, I'm on and I'm on Instagram at Antoine D. Jackson. And then I'm on Twitter at Mr. 100 Watt Life. And certainly you can check out my website, which gives you access to all of those social media pages. And that's Antoine, A-N-T-O-I-N-E, Jackson.org. You can go there and learn more about me. If you're interested in having me come out and speak and share, I'm certainly welcome um, those opportunities. And if you're interested in hosting the book for a book club, send me a note. You'd be surprised how many people have been doing that. And so I'd, I'd love to share with you, even via a, fir- a virtual platform as well. All right. Awesome. Well, I always say to the drawing board nation, you know that your future is not behind you. It is not before you. It is within you. And I've had the grace and the opportunity of sharing this platform again with my brother and friend, uh, the strategist, the facilitator, the social innovator, the author, the father, the man of God, Antoine D. Jackson. God bless you, my brother. Bless you, man. Love you. Love you too. Peace. Peace.